G'day and welcome to another episode of Spectrum Uncensored. Today I have with me Josie from Brisbane. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Hi, Jamie Lee. Thank you for having me. No worries. Um, would you like to tell me a little bit about what you do, your profession, um, a little bit about your background? So I'm an occupational therapist. I work in a private practice in Brisbane. We have a clinic based at Cooperu. It's called Nest Therapy Services. Um, but we do like home visits and school visits all over Brisbane. So I mostly work with children, but um, like some adult clients as well. What kind of got you into that field? Like, is it, it was it always a passion or did you fall into it or what brought you down that path? Um, I think it's actually a pretty cool story. When I was about seven years old, my brother saw an occupational therapist. So he was four at the time. He has low muscle tone. So he saw an OT to work on like fine motor skills and things like that. Um, and I just thought it looked so much fun what he was doing. Like he got to do drawing and play with Play-Doh and play board games for like a whole hour every week. So I thought that looks so cool. And I thought, what are they? I'd say to mum like, what are they doing in there? It just sounds like they're having so much fun. And then um, like my brother got a home program to do. So I said to my mum, I was like, mum, I'm going to take the reins here. I'm going to do the home program. And yeah, it was just like so much fun. Um, yeah, so all the way throughout my schooling, like that was something that I thought, you know, like I could see myself doing. I think I've always been, had like quite a caring nature and I've always loved working with kids. Um, but then like when I finished year 12 I wasn't really sure if that was what I wanted to go into straight out of school so I studied a different degree I studied like a health science degree for three years and after that I was able to fast track my occupational therapy degree so I went into like a master's of OT and I guess I was able to yeah do that like quicker than you would for a bachelor's degree so I did my OT degree in two and a half years um, oh, wow. which I think yeah. was yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was like quite a busy two and a half years. Um, but I like that because I think if I went into OT straight out of school, I think it just would have been a bit different, like because I was a little bit older when I first started working, like I was a bit more resilient and understood like people, I guess, on a deeper level, which I think is so important in OT. Um yeah. So that was, um, I graduated at the end of 2019. So I've been doing this for about four years now and, yeah, and working, I've had a few different jobs or working in paediatrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, that's just it. Timing's everything. And it, you know, mm -hmm. when you've got a little bit extra maturity behind you and things like that, that can make all the difference. And knowing what you want to mm -hmm. do from such a young age is really awesome. <laughs> like people, I, mm -hmm. I, I was still trying to work out what I wanted to do not that long ago so it's, mm. it's really hard to try and pinpoint some people kind of just know straight away and others are like I don't know what I'm doing um mm. but it, it must be such a rewarding job because it as you say it's it's fun but you're actually helping people at the same time so like what more could you mm. ask for really mm. yeah yeah definitely yeah and I love those like just like you know the shining moments that happen of you know, like when you've been working really hard on a goal and you see a child do it for the first time and like everyone gets so excited. Like I just love those moments like that. Yeah, it makes, a, makes it all really worth it. Yeah, as you say, very rewarding. Yeah, well, it's, it puts things into perspective too, doesn't it? Because a lot of things that we take for granted or um, think of very small things can be such big um, accomplishments for, for children that have those difficulties. So it's, mm. yeah, it does. It puts things in perspective. And I know that 
after having my son and going through diagnosis and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. and therapies, I realised that um, I was taking a lot of little things for granted, not on purpose, but it just, I don't know, it just gave you, it gave you a greater appreciation for everything in general, mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah. I feel like sometimes, though, that takes people, like, time to kind of, like, switch that almost. I mean, like, every parent's different, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe well, over time you... you get more into the, yeah, into the swing of, like, seeing, like, you know, appreciating, yeah, the little things. Yeah, The things that yeah. seem little to one person but don't seem little to another person. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, everyone's different, so <laughs> everyone mm-hmm. celebrates different things differently, but... What would you say like is a typical kind of session for you? Obviously it depends on um, the child involved, but what kind of activities would you do um, in sessions? Um, every session's really different. That's why I love it so much actually. Um, I guess like some of the like the most common occupational therapy goals that we work on in sessions would be like emotional regulation, uh, maybe like social skills, fine motor skills, um, some like self-care skills, things like, you know, like getting dressed or feeding or going to the toilet. Um, also like helping children to engage at school, like in the learning environment um, and like executive functioning skills, things like that. Yeah, so it can be very broad what we can do. Um, but I guess like the session's just always really tailored to the individual child. Like it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach in occupational therapy. So we like look at, you know, the individual's strengths and weaknesses and like their interests and things like that. So, yeah, I like how every session's a bit different in that sort of way. Hmm. Keeps everything fresh. And I know you do lots of things mm. like sensory profiles and, mm. and the like. Um, what, what do you reckon would be the most common thing that you're having to kind of teach, do you think? Hmm, I feel like the most common thing for me at the moment is emotional regulation. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's just like the setting I'm in at the moment or not, but yeah, a lot of emotional regulation. Yeah, and sensory processing is a big one that I do in, um, like in my role, um, but kind of like sensory can be embedded in the emotional regulation goals as well. Um, yeah, so I'd say that's probably the most common one. Then in like as part of um, emotional regulation, like even that can be so broad and yeah, like the avenues you can explore with like an emotional regulation goal is like, yeah, like so big and, you know, like trying to find strategies that are always individualised because like one strategy that might work for one child won't work for another child or might sometimes work for another child. It- hmm. Yeah, like it all interconnects, doesn't it? Like, as you say, the sensory Mm. and the emotional regulation can be very intertwined with, um, you know, even just trying to teach kids how to identify how they're feeling is really difficult. Uh, I mean, everyone has Mm. to go through that. And most children, I guess, I won't say most children, neurotypical children generally learn that as they go. Like it's it just kind of naturally comes to them, whereas neurodivergent mm-hmm. kids need some help trying to identify certain things. I know a lot of um, kids that I've been around really um, levitate towards 
colors as a way to describe emotions do you do a lot of that kind of stuff what what kind of things do you do to to help with that yeah sometimes sometimes we use programs like the zones of regulation that has colors like links feelings um to colors like the alert program as well links feelings too um yeah those two programs are good because they can be like quite concrete for neurodiverse learners I guess like quite clear in like in the language that's used and yeah like the colors are like very visual like that sort of thing it's interesting because every professional I talk to has a slightly different approach so it's really nice to see that as you say it's not one size fits all and everybody Mm. thinks differently and approaches things in different ways so it's really nice to chat to people to um it's almost like brainstorming but unintentionally because (laughs) you're you're kind of talking about different ways to do stuff and yeah something might pop up and someone Mm. might go oh that might work for my kid I mean for my Mm. son he I suppose because he's had some bad experiences when it comes to colors like there was a lot of language like red choice and green choice with Uh, um behaviors and that wasn't very um helpful for him in the end it was quite um ptsd inducing to be honest with you Mm. so he um for a very long time he didn't like the color red and it's really hard to kind of get across to children that red i mean red means stop red uh, red is generally Mm. a negative color but then we also attach red to angry but angry isn't a negative emotion as such. It's what you do with the anger that is either positive mm. or negative. So that was very difficult to try and get across to him because usually when it comes to describing emotions, you've got like blue is sad and red is angry. So it it kind of unintentionally shames people for feeling an emotion that they shouldn't feel mm. ashamed for feeling because it's it's natural to get angry everyone gets angry but as i say it's it's all about what you do with it and when you can't emotionally regulate it tends to be anger tends to be very explosive and destructive so it, it is it's difficult and i guess you would deal with that um in sessions trying to find better ways to um release that anger mm-hmm. yeah yeah the, like what do you say about like tying the um I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah, like the colours having like, yes, yeah, certain like weights behind them. That's like so many discussions I have like every day, like, yeah, based around that because like all the emotions are okay and everyone feels all of the emotions. Yeah, and we don't want to be you know, like tying red as like red is a bad colour and angry is a bad emotion like because it's really not like it's so important to validate that like all of the emotions are okay. Yeah, and that. Yeah, because then, yeah, it has, like, the snowball effect, doesn't it, that, yeah, like, the child sees that red is, you know, bad. I don't like red. Green's my favourite colour. Yeah, I think it's so important for when teaching emotional regulation to be keeping that in mind, yeah, to, yeah, to validate the, like, you know, it's okay to be angry. Yeah, like, behaviour or, like, hurting other people, like, that's not okay, but it's okay to be angry. And it's difficult too because everyone talks about how can I manage this in every situation and it's very, very difficult to have one solution for every situation. Mm. It's you can't, like people say, I'll get a punching bag and punch when you're angry, but but what if we're in Woolworths? Like 
then what do we do? Mm. We can't just whip out a punching bag and, you know, um, and punch it mm. out. So it's really, really difficult. You've got to be able to think outside the box with that stuff. And I think when people think angry, they think violence. They don't think um, soothing, which is what you really should be thinking about, how you soothe the anger rather than um, force the anger out. That it's it's really hard to adjust your way of thinking with that stuff. Um, and that's mm. I, I struggled with that, especially in the beginning, being um, very aware of my language and the way I spoke or mm-hmm. worded things. Even, you know, I can't say to my son, no climbing, I have to say feet on the ground. So mm. you've got to put the positive, use a positive way of saying something instead of a negative um, mm. way, especially if you're using no. You'd get a lot of, I imagine you'd have a lot of kids come through with things like PDA, which um Mm -hmm. telling them not to do something or ODD even telling them not to do something is not necessarily going to work it's potentially going to make it worse so it's Mm -hmm. you'd have to really I imagine that would tie into like speech would tie into OT in a way too Mm, yeah I think so yeah our PDA is so interesting to me I've been doing a bit more like learning into it recently because it's like when you're in the room with a client with PDA, it's like you have to think about every single word that comes out of your mouth because like the language and like how you frame like everything you say like is, yeah, really crucial. Yeah, which I find so, yeah, I find that really interesting and I think it might be sometimes easy to forget to use the PDA-friendly language at all times. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I've got mm-hmm. a friend that her daughter has PDA and it's very much um, kind of a walking on eggshells kind of life just because, as you say, you're always thinking about how you're going to word something, how you're going to say something um, to get a point across. It's it's almost like um, you're trying not to shame a child but you wouldn't be intentionally doing that. It's just it comes across that way to that child or um mm. that you're you're being being pushy and it's it's kind of pushing them over the edge so it is it's it's very um it's an interesting thing i didn't know much about until my friend's child was diagnosed with it and i was like oh okay mm. and i could see a little bit of that in my child too but it's very very hard to differentiate between a lot of these diagnoses because a lot of them have very overlapping or similar traits so it, it is it's mm. it's difficult especially when you've got comorbid relationships within diagnoses so um it's definitely you know all you can really do is is research and and um get up to date with all of those things mm-hmm. yeah and i feel like we're like learning so much about neurodiversity like every single day like even thinking about you know like what we knew about some of these diagnoses five years ago is completely different to what we know now yeah, and I mean we've got medications and things now too, which um, that kind of plays a, a, another role in everything. It can um, change what we thought we knew about a certain um, diagnosis, and it doesn't muddy the waters, but it just puts a different spin on things for each individual person. And I mean, medication works for some people; it doesn't work for others. It's not a there's no magic pill for any one thing. Um, sometimes you're literally just taking medication and swapping out um, severe symptoms for less severe symptoms, things like that. I think a lot of people um, think that 
we we go we go off the kind of wanting a cure without wanting a cure like it's it's kind of hard mm. to describe i think but we're we're kind of chasing chasing a dream i feel of like this is going to solve all the problems it's not like occupational therapy for example it's going to teach a child certain things the way they need to be taught is it going to cure their autism no is it going to make them less neurodivergent no they that's their brain but it's being mm. given the tools to be able to manage things and teach that child according to the way that suits them best mm. yeah exactly yeah yeah, it's funny you should mention that, that like something I've been really interested in in occupational therapy is this movement towards neurodiverse affirming practice. I think this is something that's like it's only really gained traction, I would say, in the last like year or so, but there's a lot more OTs like having these conversations about neurodiverse affirming practice, which I think is really cool because it's like a way of thinking that really embraces the strengths of the neurodivergent individuals and like it sees that you know like neurodivergence is not something like to be fixed as you said you know like to cure your autism like with air quotes um so it's yeah like really it's like very strengths based not deficit based because you know, like in the past there was some therapies around that you know like aim to change the neurodiverse person or almost like teach them to fit in with the neurotypical person but like now we know that you know just like a there's like completely different ways of you know thinking about if there's a social skills goal listed on the NDIS plan like we now we think about okay how do we use neurodiverse practice neurodiverse affirming practice in that sort of way um because yeah like in the you know back in the day sometimes goals are brought into occupational therapy where we didn't know or we had to think about like is this goal that has been formulated benefiting the child or is it based on an expectation from a neurotypical person you know like is this goal just going to make the teacher's job easier is the is this goal going to make the other children in the classroom feel more comfortable that's about supporting the environment and not changing the person definitely like it's there's a lot of shame that came with a lot of things like stimming for example Mm. people like that's weird Mm. but like it's not hurting anybody well provided it's not Mm. hurting anybody but it's just like let that kid flap let that kid spin around Mm -hmm. in a circle for a minute like it's Mm. and that's that's exactly like how you were saying that it's it is it's all neuroaffirming um so we've got you know we should be celebrating everybody it doesn't matter if you're different everybody has something Mm. to give and something to contribute and Mm. putting doing therapies in a positive way is Mm. it's i mean it, it should just go without saying shouldn't it it's you don't want um to be pretty much telling this person that their whole life is just a negative bubble Mm. because that's kind of how it came across in the beginning. It was very much like diagnosis, doom and gloom, negative, negative, negative. There was never any positive Mm. things. So people are being diagnosed and then going through life thinking they're just a whole bunch of negative instead Mm. of um, focusing on the positives. Like obviously you can't ignore, it's not negatives, you can't ignore the challenges, but you can put positive spins Mm. on the majority of things. 
Mm, yeah. And taking like a strengths-based lens more than like the deficit-based lens, hey, of thinking of, yeah, like all the things that are negative. We're yeah. constantly told, you know, focus on what you're good at. And, yeah, instead of like, mm. you know, don't focus. Everyone always says focus on the positives, not the negatives. So why isn't that kind of put into practice with everything in general? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And like one, like an example of like an example that usually comes to mind when I think of neurodiverse affirming practice is like back in the day maybe like a goal was for a child to give eye contact to his teacher and the other children in his class. And so like therapies, it might have been occupational therapy, but it also could be you know, the other types of therapies would then like try and teach this skill, but like that was not neurodiverse affirming, you know, like it was, yeah, just a completely, I feel like now we have a completely different way of thinking about, yeah, like goals such as that. And I think like a key part of that comes from understanding the lived experience of being neurodivergent. And I really like how, you know, all the researchers and the experts are talking to people who are neurodivergent to learn about like, you know, what do you, what do they like? What do they don't like? You know, this sort of thing has worked for me. This sort of thing has not worked for me. Like, I think that um, that's really important. And like platforms such as this podcast really show like the lived experience and how that can be so different between lots of different people as well. Um, and like earlier this year, I got to go to the Occupational Therapy Australia National Conference in Cairns. And I definitely saw that there was like a shift there to be talking about lived experience of yeah, like neurodivergence, but also, you know, health conditions or disability when um, like when thinking about what we need to do as occupational therapists to support these populations. So I think that's really crucial that, yeah, that we are thinking about, you know, the actual people who are also engaging in our therapies. Yeah, it's funny because I try not to giggle every time you say other therapies. I know exactly which therapies you're referring to, you know, the oh, okay. very controversial <laughs> ones. But it's, it's, mm. I love that you're really watching what, you, what you're saying with that when it comes to those yeah, things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you, were, you were saying, like, eye contact, for example. It's like I think mm. back. I don't make eye contact when I talk to people, but I didn't, I never thought that was weird. Like, I don't, I don't understand why you look at people in the eyes when you talk to them. I always look at their mouth um, because that's mm. where the words come out. So that just makes sense to me. But I mean, I'm neurodivergent. So it, I don't know. It's like, how come what we do is weird? Why isn't it that neurotypical people are weird? You know what I mean? Like, it's, mm. it's all about perspective. There's weirdness everywhere. It just depends on mm. who you are as to what you think is weird. But mm. um, I mean, you've definitely touched on a lot about what um, what you love about your job, which is amazing. It's, it's great that um, you enjoy what you do so much. But why would you say your profession is so important? Um, I think it's so important because OT supports people to engage in activities that they find meaningful and it can address like some underlying difficulties that might impact a person's engagement in what is meaningful to them. And so like what's meaningful to you could be, you know, getting dressed in the morning, could be, you know, playing with toys, eating dinner, but it's so important, I think, to like implement 
strategies that are very individualized to the client's needs. I think that's part of what makes occupational therapy important. Yeah, like not a, not a one size fits all approach at all. It's very individualized to each child's strengths and weaknesses. It's a very inclusive um, thing. So it's it's just amazing because obviously we need inclusivity in everything that we do, um, no matter who we are. So it's it's definitely nothing but positive things coming out of OT and speech. And it's not yeah, it's not about shaming people for being different. It's about giving them a leg up where it's required to make sure they can, you know, live their best life, really. It's, um, and it doesn't, you know, I don't think it really stops when you're a child. There's still adults that need occupational therapy and, and the mm. like. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, what you do is absolutely amazing. So, I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm glad that you love your, uh, your job. That definitely makes it a whole lot easier, doesn't it? You'll never work a day in yeah. your life now. So, yeah, um, I love it. It's really the best job in the world. Yeah, and you meet a lot of awesome people along the way, which is just an added bonus, mm. really, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been able to make like work with the most amazing clients and families. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much mm. for your time today and coming and having a chat with me. It was amazing to meet you and and learn a little bit about your background and what it is you do. Um, but thank yeah, you. I mean, Likewise. if anyone's yeah, if anyone's in the Cooper area and needs an OT, hit Josie up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so thank you so much for your time and um, hopefully we'll chat again. Yep, sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. No worries. Bye.